Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. Hey, Jason. Thanks for joining me, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, Luke, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, stoked to hear about your trip on, that you just had on the coast. Yeah, it was it was epic. It was it was like the forecast you look for to head out there, and uh, even you know it's a fickle fickle stretch of coastline, and you're never quite sure what you're going to get. And it's always a fantastic adventure, and I'm always happy I went. But this time we absolutely scored for conditions, so that was a blast. Awesome. And whereabouts yeah. uh, whereabouts do you live, and whereabouts did you go? So basing here in, uh, in Hood River, uh, in the gorge, this is, uh, my, my summer fall residence and then, uh, winter spring I, I spend on Maui or have for the last few years anyways, and plan to do so again this year. So the, the coast mission for me is usually, you know, you from Hood River, it's an hour to Portland and then another hour plus to the nearest spot on the coast. But for windsurf or wind sports or wing or anything like this. I've found you start at Central Coast, which would be Newport, which is not necessarily always the best place, but it, it'll be sort of the dividing line between where the wind starts and stops. And then from there, you can kind of target where you want to go. Of course, if I can go further north, it's less driving and the, and the conditions up north are, are, are second to none, but it's, um, you know, it's sometimes it's worth it to head down south. And that's what the forecast was looking like. So I actually went down and, and started at Florence and posted up on the jetty there after it was like a four, four and a half hour drive. And you, and it's, a, it's a pretty rustic spot and you, you bump out on the jetty and you, in my van, there was a big sand drift over the jetty and I didn't get to park out to my normal spot. So adds a little bit of the drama and bundled up and it was cold outside beautiful weather but cold outside ran up over the dune and looked out to sea and it was absolutely massive it was macking it was you know hawaiian eight to ten to fifteen feet something like that totally pumping the wind was light too which i sort of suspected for that first look uh we're at the very beginning of the wind in the forecast and the wind was light and i had an early departure so i just kind of snuggled down in the dunes there and had a lunch and watched the waves which were just spectacular and uh took a little rest and then headed south uh met up with a buddy down in coos bay and then uh, spent the night there and then straight to cape sebastian after that uh the next morning and it was it was on straight away oh beautiful yeah beautiful so you were down there for for how long you know about three days down there and uh the 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 conditions, it was just, you know, as you know, after looking at Florence and seeing these waves breaking so far out to sea, 500 yards past the jetty, and it's, and it's not like, a, you know, the, the waves in Hawaii tend to be a little bit more uh, organized by sets, you know, the channels working, you can kind of get away with a lot there, you can sneak out, you can get in position, whereas the coast, it's just it's just sand. It's just sandbars and beach breaks. So the waves were just like, just pumping nonstop. So I was actually hoping to get south and get a little bit around the corner and get out of the brunt of the energy. And that's, that's what we found down in the Cape. And at first morning, 
it was, you know, it was still sizable. You know, I was windsurfing that first day and it was mast high for sure, over mast high, bigger on the outside sets and windy straight on to a four or five. I should have been on a four O or something like that. It was absolutely oh, whoa, okay. But that's good because it gives you a lot of mobility, right? You can you can get around and you know, you look at it and it's like, well, I'm here and it doesn't exactly look fun, but you gotta get out there, right? It's just raspy and rough and challenging and uh and so we we just went for it and we got to enjoy riding the peak of the swell i would say because that afternoon there was probably a as the tide was reaching high we probably had a 15 minute period where the waves were non-stop it was just 10 foot corduroy coming in chaos you know just everywhere you could get around this and that but from there it just started to drop and drop and drop and the wind started to moderate and moderate and then it just got better and better and better for the next couple of days so i was glad to start on the peak of the swell you know because the rest of it seemed felt a little more manageable actually <laughs> yeah beautiful that was super good how long have you been sailing for now Phew. well i'm 52 i learned when i was 14 in southwest florida that was hey. sort of like the part of that that first real heyday of windsurfing and uh yeah i grew up between michigan and florida and in florida i, I lived on the gulf coast uh southwest florida estero island and uh went to all my high school years there and that was you know you could be a surfer in southwest florida but that was more like you either had to drive or you had to like pose with your board because there was not a lot of waves going on you know and the uh the windsurfing kind of caught hold there and exploded in my area actually so this is around the uh sanibel captiva naples that area we have the sanibel causeway and in those years it went from zero to 100 so fast like a few windsurfers and then the next you know in six months it would double and then double again and then double again and we had uh uh, national competitions at the Sanibel Causeway. We were all racing one design stuff and uh, we would have 200 competitors there, not to mention the associated family and camper vans and parties and this and that. And for, for a high school kid, it was just like, it was a, a blast. I'm not much of a team sport guy, you know? So I, that was my, you know, I, I laughed because me and my best friend in high school where we went out for soccer and we were just dabbling with windsurfing at that time and we could both kind of play soccer a little bit we were having fun and all of a sudden one day we realized how badly we wanted to go windsurfing and we show up for soccer practice and it's a rare occurrence that there's wind in southwest florida the trees were shaking and we looked at each other and we're like that's it soccer's done we're out of here and that started <laughs> probably i would say out of three, two to three years we missed maybe you know if one of us had to go on a family vacation or something like that we would miss days i would bet in two to three years we missed no more than 20 days 25 days of windsurfing and in southwest oh, florida that's a you. lot of like yeah standing and almost no wind but we would make the best of it you know and and practice pumping in no air and practice you know play king of the board you know we were riding these 12, six Mistral super light one design boards. And we would just go and play. And we had a community of friends and we had such a blast. And, you know, our friends would come down, the girls would come down and it was, it was such a fun seat. So, you know, as we kind of finish high school, a lot of friends 
kind of continued on that racing endeavor. They wanted to be uh, one design racers, Olympic class, division two, whatever. And we had gotten a little taste of high wind windsurfing and we just went in a different direction. We decided. So my best friend was a year older. He got a trip to Hawaii for his high school graduation present. We were doing no everything together. And at that time, and he told me, he's like, oh, I got a trip to Hawaii for, for my graduation present. And he looked at me and he goes, but you have to come too, right? And I'm, you know, I'm a junior <laughs> in high school. I'm like, well, yeah, love to, you know, and we were both working at that time. So we had money. There was like, it's kind of a cool area that we grew up in, in Southwest Florida on a, ster- a sterile island because there was just jobs around and just tons of energy. And we had night jobs. We taught windsurfing on the weekends and we put it together. And I was fortunate to accompany him to that on that trip to Hawaii, which was one month on Oahu and then one month on Maui. And it, it Whoa. changed my life. That, I was young, just that like, is so sweet. Yeah. So I was 16 and did that trip with him. And we come to the Damn end it. of the summertime and I'm like, okay, well, time to, time to go home. Right. And he's like, well, actually I'm going to stay. <laughs> and he went on to go to uh, community college there <laughs> on Maui. And it left me okay. in a pickle. Like, Oh, I could have easily stayed. I could have found some kind of work or whatever, but I realized I wasn't prepared. If I realized if I stayed, I would probably never finish high school, but it was a hard choice to make. And I decided, all right, let's go back to Florida. Um, and I spent that year continuing to teach windsurfing on the weekends and I was bussing tables uh, uh, at night. And then my the, the one thing that I really wanted to do, by that time I'd already had sort of, de- <clears throat> pardon me, developed an interest in sailmaking. My- this episode is brought to you by the Fit for Surfing program. If you're looking to take your wing foil skills to the next level and ride those waves like a pro, listen up. Are you tired of watching others make it look effortless while you're struggling to keep up? Well, I have a game changer for you. Introducing the Fit for Surfing program. It's a comprehensive training program designed to transform you into the wingfoil legend you actually are. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced winger, this program is tailored just for you. So why should you consider the Fit for Surfing program? First off, it's not just about hitting the gym or doing random workouts. It's a holistic approach that covers surf-specific exercises, flexibility training, and mental conditioning. This program is being used by pros from around the world that are currently on tour, including our main man, Max Robinson. So to get started, click on the link in the description and use the discount code WINGLIFEPODCAST50 to get an amazing 50% off the first month when you sign up. Your dreams of conquering those waves, lakes, and rivers and becoming a true wingfoiler can become their reality with the Fit for Surfing program. This is your chance to unlock your full surfing potential and join the ranks of those top surfers worldwide like those on tour. So don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Get ready to wing like you've never winged before with the Fit for Surfing program. Click the link in the description and use the discount code WINGLIFEPODCAST50 to get started today. My mom is a as a sewer. I've been around sewing machines my whole life. I'm very comfortable with that sort of thing. And I was really fascinated by, you know, it's, it goes back to a story like my uncle, the first time I ever went sailing was on a sunfish and I was 12, 11 or 12 years old. And my uncle said, Hey, come on, we're going to go sailing. And I was like, great, let's go sailing. And we, 
you know, we get to the little beach rental center and he knows the guy and we organize the thing. We drag the sunfish down there and put it in the water. And in my inexperienced mind, I thought you just get out on the water and you just get blown somewhere. I hadn't thought past that, you know, like that's how it works. So we get out there and immediately we start going into the wind. And I remember just being absolutely dumbfounded by what was happening because we're surrounded by all this air that's moving that way but we're going that way. How's this possible? You know, so uh, yeah. that was the, the the initial thread that I pulled that that grew into this fascination. And so that's what, you know, spent time sailing with him. I ended up actually running that uh, beach rental center at one point with Prindles and Hobie Cats. Oh God, that's before insurance and everything. We would send people out, boats flip and disappear and it was just chaos, but that's, that's the time, right? But it was so much fun. I knew yeah. that I wanted to to be a sailmaker. So I I in Southwest Florida there was a a big boat lost that was run by a guy who I actually incidentally I'm working with again, which is another wild story. But he uh, Brian Thompson and he uh, I I went to that big boat lost and I said I'll I want to come here four days a week. I'll work for free. All you got to do is sign this paper so that I could get my, uh, oh, hang on. Let me see if I can silence my notifications. Can you still hear me? Okay. Oh yeah. Sure. No worries. Yep. I'm good. There we go. Um, I said, will you sign, will you sign this paper so I can get out of school early and, and I'll sweep, I'll do whatever. And, and he took me on and I'm, I'll be forever grateful for Brian, uh, doing that for me. And he taught me how to sew on the old Bernina 217, which is the machines that, so many of us sailmakers and sail designers use and I and uh we taught me how to do traditional floor layouts and string layouts and transfer to hard patterns one-to-one hard patterns how to cut how to stick uh how to sew basic assemblies all of these sort of things so I spent my senior year uh, basically volunteering at that loft and then at the very end I made a I made two sales for myself and a quiver bag and I had a plane ticket for Maui and probably the day after graduation I think I took off and uh and and ended up on Maui and that was in 1989 yep oh whoa okay so do you think it was a good thing then that you got to stay back and and learn a little bit before heading back out absolutely because it it, it allowed me to show up on Maui with with something to offer, you know, I had already had a fair bit of experience in windsurfing, but I didn't have a skill other than teaching. And I, I wasn't really passionate about teaching and I, it's, that didn't really call to me, but the, I like, I like, I love sailmaking and I love that kind of work because it's very tedious. It's very busy. You have to be very focused. It's not for everyone. I've tried to teach several different people how to how to do the work that I do and they just they're bored instantly because it's you know there's a lot of repetitive stuff huh. there's a lot of difficult things it's not just like you know the other extreme would be like your your uh, celebrity board shaper right they're just in there just like mowing foam and creating this beautiful object and ta-da, there it is there's so much more delayed gratification in sailmaking. You've got to put the time in, you know, you've got to, you got to, you know, just cutting all the panels takes time. I mean, we've since moved on to plotters and digitizing everything, but it's still quite tedious. You know, it's to build us a, a sail or a wing is, you know, it's 12 man hours of, of work. And that's if your system is set up, 
that's if your machine's running right, if you're if you're organized, you know what you want. But you a lot of times you don't even know what's happening. You know, you, your assembly is going well, but you don't know until you rig that thing or until you inflate that thing what actually happened through that process. And and mm. it's not so apparent if there's a mistake where it came in. So, you know, the the construction is is really an important it's it's like people think sails and wings are sort of like stamped out of a press but they're so bloody labor intensive and the tolerances i'm on 0.25 of an mm for tolerances for main seams and things like that you know outline things like that you have a little more room to play with but when you're dealing with profile seams and shaping seams there's there's really no tolerance it has to be correct so you know having Mm -hmm. spent that time learning under brian thompson and understanding the importance of precision understanding a little bit of the skill set how to basic stuff man like how to how to maintain your scissors because they it's, it's so important you know you have to know how to sharpen your scissors and you have to know exactly where and how to keep them oiled and how your rulers are set up and all of these tools require um knowledge and experience to know how to run and yeah it's just pins pens and scissors but really there's a lot more to it than that you got to be super organized so i'm very thankful that i went back and and hooked up with brian and got the basic skill set to at least open the door and you know arriving on maui with that wasn't a guarantee either it was it was really a busy time. There were a lot of people around. There was a lot of people hustling for work. Straight off the airplane, you could go work at a board shop. You could do ding repair. You could you could apprentice uh, laminating or sanding or doing any one of those things. Again, those didn't really appeal to me. The, the loft jobs were very few and far between. So I, you know, I, I, it took me a year to find my first job actually. And in that year I did a lot of surfing because I had to work in the daytime, <laughs> which was great. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like I was working nine to nine to three thirty, So that really kind of bit into my, you know, windsurf possibility, of course, on the weekends, but I was digging ditches. I was doing landscaping. I started to do some construction work. I ended up on a framing crew and that was actually really fun and interesting because it's kind of up my alley, that sort of thing, precise measurements, building things. Oh, but true. I yep. knew that I wasn't going to be a builder for a living. And uh, luckily, the guy who was teaching me was also a hardcore windsurfer. So the day when the day came that I showed up and said, hey, I got, a, I got an offer to work at this loft. I'm, I'm on my way out. He was understanding and very supportive of me. So um, oh, that, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 So it took a year and, and finally just word of mouth, a, a friend of mine, we were down in Paio one day and he yells across the street from, he's in front of Mana Foods. I'm across at Hairbenders and he goes, Hey, I heard Ezzy's looking for somebody. And I just dropped everything and went, Oh, okay. Right. I went straight up the haiku, uh, to my house, pulled out the phone book, of yep. course, Looked up David Ezzy, yeah, like this. There's his number. Called him immediately and said, "You know, I I'd love to come and talk to you. I'd love to. Are you looking for somebody? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to come and talk to you." And I said, "Well, I'll I'd love to come right now." He says, "Okay, well, uh, here's my address." Turns out 
he's on the other end of this loop street that I'm living on in Haiku just by chance. I didn't even know he was there. So I was able to walk from my house to his design loft on Mopua Place. And we we pretty much hit it off. I think I was exactly what he was looking for, young and keen and impressionable. And uh, that was exactly what I was looking for was just a, a fast track right into the heart of the industry and the, uh, and, and the trade as well. So, um, you know, we had a couple get to know you's and within a couple few weeks, I was pretty much full time working for him. And, you know, within within six months, I was overseas and he was designing for North Sales at that time. And I was in Sri Lanka within six months, which was my first time out of the country. We were there for seven weeks or something like that. I almost died of a staph infection and, and culture shock. And it was cool. just like, oh, this crazy thing. But it was it was wild because it was straight into the North Sales factory, which was, was it 816? It was two shifts. And we would work the both shifts because we had to teach and introduce patterns to everybody. And uh, I don't know okay. how many workers there were, 400, something like that. They were doing 30, 35,000 sales, something like that. Whoa, it was okay. nice. So straight into the frying pan. Yeah. Right into and, the head. And I worked, I worked with four and, yeah. <laughs> I worked for and with David for almost 10 years, like nine years or so. Beautiful. So that gave you a heck of a, a yeah. good intro into the industry. Definitely. Yeah. That was fantastic. And, and probably the best part about that, I mean, he was a, well, he was a taskmaster and he was not easy to work for, but his work ethic was like, I mean, for me, it would be unsustainable what that guy was doing at that time. He was up at three 30 in the morning. Um, laying out patterns. I would show up at 6.30. We would build a sale every day, five days a week. Uh, and that's the only exception is when we were in Sri Lanka, which we went twice a year for weeks at a time. And so okay. not only building that many sales by hand, I probably hand built 3,000 sales or something like that. The uh, At two o'clock, we went and tested. So it was, we would rig it check it and then straight to the beach and oftentimes from the haiku loft his haiku loft is like seven minutes to hokipa test there and as the sun got low we would race down to kanaha and test whatever free ride sales uh, or even wave sales um as hokipa the wind started to drop we would just head down the coast and test until dark and then we would test on the weekends too it was exhausting it was just like it was non-stop but i took on a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge in that time Oh yeah, big time! Holy yeah. man, what a what an intro into the wind sports. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So, what happened after uh, working for Ezzy? Where'd you go from there? So, from there, I was actually pretty, like, pretty physically destroyed at the end of that time. And it, it I mean, it's hard to overstate the how rigorous that schedule was. Um, and I, you know. All at once, I, I left that job. I, I left the marriage, moved houses. I just did this major reset in my life. I realized I needed a break. Uh, flew to the mainland, uh, hooked up with a buddy in Vail, Colorado. Uh, searched for a couple weeks, found a beautiful old Ford pickup truck with a camper shell on it. And uh, I just tripped around on the mainland for 
three months or something like that. I drove from Maine to Florida to Colorado, California, everywhere except the Northwest, actually, and just mountain biked my brains out and connected with family and friends and did a major reset and uh, I just enjoyed that time. Before I left for that trip, uh, and the word sort of had gotten out that I, I had left the, uh, my employment with Ezzy there, uh, I, I spoke to a few different people in the industry about the potential of working together. And I actually, I had a fantastic uh, conversation with Klaus Simmer. And he came to me, um, or I, forget the, I can't even remember who, how, it, very organic. I mean, Maui's a tiny place. We just see everybody all the time. And he was curious yeah, about what I was up to. And so we, uh, we had a great conversation. And while I was on the mainland, I, it really gave me a lot to think about. And um, in the end, I ended up uh, coming back uh, to Maui. I had signed a no-compete clause with Ezzy that was, you know, since having it reviewed by lawyers and stuff was completely outlandish and, and probably unenforceable. But I wasn't, and it was like a two-year period where I wasn't supposed to do anything for anyone. But it was, you know, I and but I wasn't in a rush to do anything either. I didn't want to jump into another major relationship. So <clears throat> I came back to Maui, and I just sort of started to hang around uh, at the Simmerloft and uh, talking to Klaus mm-hmm. and developing a relationship with him. Uh, maybe just kind of casually advising on what I saw with what was going on with their sales. And, uh, I started to do a sale repair business, uh, which at that time was, uh, one of my best friends on Maui and I actually did it together. And that was right in Paia. We would take in, oh gosh, too many sales, more than we could manage, you know, eight to 12 to 50, pardon me, sales a day. And that's how I paid my rent for a long time. And it also was, you know, working with Ezzy was very insular. There was no, there, there was somewhat limited in, interaction with other brands, with other products. It was very, like, very much just what we were doing. So the process of running through, I mean, there, there, I can think of the top three repairs that I did over and over again that paid my rent and my food bill. And it was such a great education and how, how to do things and how maybe also not Mm. to do things. I learned so much. So, you know, and then, you know, we're getting into a year into that two year, no compete. And then I just sort of realized that I was not, uh, really beholden to anyone, uh, about where I could work and when I could work. And I just slid in and just started kind of one, one model at a time designing the simmer stuff. Uh, getting overseas and organizing production and and just kind of let that relationship grow. So um, so that was Simmer and okay. my first chance to do an original design on the market. And we, uh, we did pretty well uh, in those years. They went from maybe two, this is, it's a very, it's a very boutique brand compared to the bigger uh, brands. And, you know, we, I think we tripled quadrupled the number of sales we were selling went from 2000 to two, four, six, seven thousand, maybe 8,000 sales by the time I left, which is a pretty good number. And, um, in that time, achievable number for the 
this is this is still before kite you know kiting was just starting right about then just as i was sort of uh you know into my last two years with simmer and uh it, being a more boutique brand it allowed you know we weren't there all we could do is grow really so it was it was a perfect setup for me to introduce my ideas my concepts bring some people on uh who identified with what i was doing and what i was looking for in the sales um it was uh i had the opportunity to write a lot of the marketing materials for simmer which was a great thing cool. for me to be able to you know push what we were doing on maui at that time and simmer had you know simmer the ownership of that brand has changed um and around not long after that it changed and there was there there was a lot of energy kind of going away from maui and that's that to me that was just a tragedy because that was uh the heart and soul of that brand and what people really identified with and what i identified with when i was in high school and opening windsurf magazines and you see malta simmer just hitting the lip on a 10-foot wave it's like that's that's it blue water trunks simmer uh-huh. the stuff doesn't break yeah. like this is the heart and soul of this brand and there and they there was kind of a feeling in the industry that oh don't be so maui centric don't be don't you have to travel the world to understand what the world needs and and there's you know there's element of truth to that but you can't cut yourself off at the knees like the foundation of your brand either so being able to write those marketing materials was a great opportunity Mm -hmm. for me to shine a light on what i was doing personally and what we were doing as a team as well i was working with Kai Kachadorian, who's still a simmer rider, um, and working with who Anders Bringdahl as well. He's a ripper. Yeah, he. Those were just such fun times. He was just a great guy to work with, and such a talented windsurfer. And Charger too. Oh my gosh! And Robbie Seeger was on the sales then. Oh, yeah. And oh, how many more? Yeah, it was it was it was great, and we were able to really kind of reinforce the the heritage the maui heritage of that brand it was a great project and i was working for uh so i was working for klaus initially and then i uh then uh thomas pearson had the uh, as a swedish dude has the he's actually to this day has the license i think he bought the hardware uh portion of the company and um he was an awesome <laughs> dude to work for we had so much fun working in china together and you know we're younger we're partying we're like building sales and traveling to different places and you know it was it was a hoot for sure so i think it was a simmer was seven seven eight years or so that i worked for simmer seven eight years okay what years was that uh was that nine two thousand eighty nine two thousand to two thousand yeah it was almost nine years two thousand nine Roughly. Okay. Roughly. I wrote some of those simmers. You did? I yeah. Like, I wrote some of those, man. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> they were so cool. I think yeah. I was just so stoked. I, the first trip to Maui, I picked up two used masts and they were both simmer masts. And I also picked up a couple of used simmer sails back in 2012. Awesome. And they, yeah. Yeah. So that was a pretty sick intro into windsurfing for sure. A lot of heritage and history there, which was yes, awesome. For sure. And, you know, I still see. I still see Malta around, and uh, his his son is a is a fantastic uh, winger as well, uh, Justin Simmer, 
around Maui there. And it's really fun to see yeah, those guys fun. and and have this history and have been part of history of that company and, and, and still, you know, uh, still communicating and, and enjoying the, enjoying what we do on Maui. It's pretty fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. How did that transition then go from Simber into uh, who you're working with now? That was so where where I am now is is you know my intro is so Goya windsurfing. Uh, let's where do we start here? Francisco Goya and Lalo Goya are brothers, right? And they moved to Maui. Uh, Francisco moved to Maui about the same time I did in '89, and straight from Argentina. And he was uh, his English was minimal. But he was a he was a stoked and talented windsurfer, and you know we were I was so wrapped up in my Ezzy world, and he was wrapped up in his competitive world. It became apparent that he was, you know, I like I'm an okay I'm a I'm a decent windsurfer and I'm a I'm a decent rider, but there are those guys and they're just on the top level. That's just the cream. That's mm-hmm. and it was very apparent that he was one of those guys. So he, we didn't spend a lot of time together in the early years because he was very dedicated to his path of uh, competitive windsurfing. And I was very dedicated to my path of windsurfing as much as possible and building sales. <laughs> so we we kind of grew up in a way alongside of each other. And then some years in, his younger brother came from Argentina, Lalo uh, Alvaro, Lalo Goya. And Lalo was like 14 when he arrived or something like this. And and again, Lalo is just like this. He's 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 known as the owner of these companies, but I don't know if there's many better barrel riders on Maui, better surfers. He's so understated about what his ability is. He's a wicked skater, like just this full on legit athlete, you know, and happens to be running these companies, you know. So these two guys. And then they oh, have a wow. third brother. Uh, another, there was another brother, Alejandro, as well, who was around town. But we kind of all were at the beach together, but all on different projects and things like that. And then the second half of my simmer time, we combined our workshops. I moved my design loft out of Paia up to Haiku in with those guys who were establishing the Quattro board factory up in the Poela cannery. And took over this, you know, 2000 square foot space and we're trying to figure out how to pay the rent and offered me a section. I'm like, yeah, perfect. You know? And so that was the initial, uh, board shop in Haiku in the Poela cannery was Quattro and, um, and the Simmer design center, which I had signed out and everything like that, two machines, I was doing repairs and everything. So we worked next to each other for a while and you know, the, the simmer thing was fantastic, but there was a point where I realized that I didn't, I didn't own it. I didn't, I only had so much influence about what was going on. There were, I mean, if I'm honest, there were just kind of like some decisions that were being made that were surprises to me, which is fine. It's not my company, but at some point I just kind of went, eh, I think maybe my time is about done here. And I would speak to Lalo and Francisco and, and, you know, Francisco is, uh, had, had started to do some sales on his own, you know, working with different, uh, sale makers on Maui and designers and just kind of like a little bit here and there. And I was just like, 
you know, you guys, I, I think it's inevitable that we've got to work together here. And, and we all agreed, but <laughs> you know, we started yeah. that conversation when I was really in full swing with Simmer. And I said, let's just, let's just keep this in mind. Let's let this develop for a year or two and see, you know, because I was, as I said, you know, I, I, I'm bat, yeah, designing for a company that's selling internationally. I'm in the marketing materials. I'm going to production. There's just a lot going on to just start from square one. But these guys were determined to, to build something. And so basically it comes down to a number, right? It's like, I'd love to work with you guys, but this is what I need to make to make it happen. And we had that conversation and uh, I think it was that evening, Lalo called me back and he said, let's do it. And that was it. It was game on from there on. So I finished my time with Simmer, finished my productions, everything like that. It was, it was as, as, uh, about as well as you can end a relationship, I think, because I don't think there was any yeah. hard feelings or anything like that. It was just obvious. We all had to go on to the next thing. And for me, the idea of working with Lalo and Francisco and Keith Tabul, who is the, uh, the third owner of these brands, Keith was like my, uh, was like my best friend on Maui. We moved there again. He moved there about the same time and we surfed all the time together. We would drive to, out to Hana and surf. We would surf Hokipo. We would, we just did everything together, chase girls, whatever, you know? And, uh, yeah. When I, when it kind of came to pass that I was going to come and work for these guys, for me, it was like, this is it. I've arrived. I'm not trying to, and that's how I feel to this day. I'm, I'm not interested and in, I don't have any ownership in these companies. I just don't, I, it's not interesting to me to take on that sort of responsibility. I have too many other things going on in my life, but Fair. this for me, I feel like I have arrived. This is what I've been working towards is this collaboration with these guys. We have a, a, a lot of history. We have a deep respect for each other. Um, and we, you know, we've, we've had families next to each other. We've traveled a lot together. We're, we're, we're really close and, you know, it's, it's dangerous waters for a business relationship. I know because I've seen it go wrong so many times, but we keep our communication super clean and and our our deal is square they don't owe me anything i don't owe them anything it could end tomorrow and it's all good it's not ending tomorrow i can promise that <laughs> but it's just <laughs> no, like please no <laughs> it's like this is this is what we've been working towards because yeah it really is about relationships and community and especially for us and our target and what we're trying to do we're trying to we're trying to create the stuff that we love to ride and we want to share it with people and we want to interact with people and we want to work with our riders we want to work with our customers and have an open communication about what because these the sports are changing so fast i mean winging obviously it's like it's it's like hyperspeed you have to be receptive to oh, yeah. what your riders and your customers are experiencing. And the same thing is happening with windsurfing too. I mean, I it's it's been so fun to be part of this industry in the last years because it's evolved, you know, from windsurfing, it was like, oh, here comes kiting. Windsurfing has been canceled. Okay, it did take our volume way down, but we learned to coexist. 
And I have to thank Kiting for forcing us to create gear that works in those conditions that other guys were saying, oh, you can only kite in this. We're windsurfing in, in oh, conditions yeah. that your kite falls out of the sky. We're windsurfing in lighter conditions than kiters can go in at this point, depending, you know, if it's gusty or whatever and your kite's falling. So it really, and you skill. know, it, it re, and skill, it really, you know, actually I would say drove the development of board design uh, more than anything that we can ride these giant boards that turn you know i took a brand new board out to the coast 91 liters i'm there's no wind i'm standing there my ankles are dry and the board just rips you you can't you can huh. put you can turn it as hard as you want to there's no limit whereas in the old days we just rode longer and longer and longer boards and they got harder and harder to turn as they got bigger and now there's no loss of maneuverability you know and that's due to the the pressure of improving the gear because of kiting because of any other sport that comes along you know it's it's i i love it it's just a healthy environment to push everything along and and progress things and make it fun make it more fun you know windsurfing after after 15 20 years and the boards were kind of the same it, it had a little bit of a feeling like we're just kind of sharpening the same sword over and over again and then kiting just threw a bomb in the middle of all of that. And what came out of the other side are these boards that are so much more fun to ride. And because the boards are buoyant, because they're loose, it just blows open all these doors for sail design too, making oh, the yeah. sails lighter, more reactive, you know, not to mention that the that the technique and material development is coming along. We're riding masks that weigh nothing and they don't break. We're riding booms that are just so minimalist and they don't break, you know, it's just, it's, it's so, it's so fun. It's so fun. And, and now, you know, with winging, same thing. It's like this alternative that in my mind really complements windsurfing and it's, it's just, it's just bringing more people into this arena of wind and water sports. I think it's fantastic. Oh yeah, it, cap it, it captures a whole group of people who would, don't want to kite because they feel it's too dangerous. They don't want to windsurf for some for I don't know why they wouldn't want to windsurf, but anyways, they choose <laughs> not to. And they, <laughs> and then it opens up this window for winging, which is a completely different feeling, completely different sport. Like, how did you come up with your first concept of your first wing? Um, did you where I guess where your where did you borrow from or where did you? feel would be where you would start well it was uh for me i never got into kite design so that technology was foreign to me uh soft materials bladders like what is this a bladder trying to understand how pardon me how those things all came together and the pressures and the loads and all of these things and and honestly, it was it was a little overwhelming at first. It, you know, partially because I drug my feet in in the beginning because I, you know, I've got three kids. I love to windsurf. I love to surf. I like to fish. I like to play golf. I like to mountain bike. There's only so much time in the day. And Lalo called me one day. He's like, "There is, ah, dude, if we got. I think we got to do wings." And I was like, "Oh, really? Come on." <laughs> He's like, he's like, yeah, we got, we got to do wings. It's not going to last, said, man. It's going <laughs> to, I said, man, I, you know, 
I, I'm not your guy. Can you, can you find someone else? And he's like, okay, okay, okay. And then a month or two later, he calls and he, and he's like, Jason, I said, yes, I knew what was coming. He goes, I need you to do these wings. <laughs> and this is the relationship we have is if, if he calls me out in that regard, I'll, I'll drop everything for these guys. I'll do it. I'll say, I said, okay, all right, you want it? We'll do it. I started with, uh, the factory who produces our windsurfing sales was also doing kites and wings. I said, do you have any stock wings you can send me? And they said, sure. Uh, sent me a couple wings. Of course, you know, I did. So I get them here and I'm like, well, I guess I got to learn how to wing. And, you know, flying the wing takes 10 minutes to figure out, right? You just like, it just, it's really easy compared to flying a foil. And so I spent time on those wings and spent time on the SUP board, just figuring out how to go back and forth. And, you know, by the second session, I'm like, well, this wing is not good. It has to change. And, and again, it was just following that thread of, okay, this, this leading edge is too small. This canopy is too soft. This thing is too heavy. And you just start unraveling it. But I had to start from square one on the design and figure out how to design and how to draw the things what the different parts were, the different seaming methods, um, all of that. So uh, getting those wings from the factory, doing modifications. And at the same time, I rode every wing I could get my hands on. I rode, I mean, I purchased a lot of wings too. I just had a look of what was going on around in the industry for sure. And uh, it, it it was, you know, the thing about a wing is it's like, it's so forgiving. And especially in those early days, you know, that if you saw the meme of Robbie on the the kite foil board or the wing foil board with the umbrella, like, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but yeah. there's a, a meme of him. Yeah, I think I have, yeah. It really, it, you know, typifies the experience. It's like, it almost doesn't matter what you have in your hands. So there's there's far more pressure on the, the foil, the board, and you as the rider. The wing is almost incidental in the beginning. You know, anything will get you going. So sliding in at that moment, and just like, okay, you know, you don't have to freak out that it's not the perfect wing or this or that. Just get out there, just ride it, see what it feels like and this and that. And riding a lot of different wings and seeing what, how the other designers were approaching the, the problems was, was a big part of uh, how I was able to kind of get some traction in the, in the design. Oh, there we go. Okay. One second. Yeah, because your V1. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, your V1 wing came out very good i gotta say like compared to a lot of other brands like um we loved your long handles we liked the way it rode um it pumped it pumped well it flew well it was a tinge heavier than others but it didn't i didn't seem to matter very much to be honest yeah um because those long handles were just they were great and i was actually talking um his name escapes me right now Uh uh-oh but anyways he was in the gorge and he was selling for you guys for a little while Ah, to Andrew. Andrew, yeah. Andrew yeah. was saying that those long handles, he loved them for the length of time that they were around because you could stink bug and you can get going fast. So yeah. we were kind of, we were, we were waiting to see when, when you would launch them, but it was yeah. cool that you waited because you got to look at some other things and then you came in, you're like, oh wow. So they're right, they're right there, which is, which yeah. is awesome. <laughs> so that was kind of a cool little thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, w- what, uh. What really helped me, 
And it was a big kind of uh, milestone for me as, as I was shaping these things and creating the profiles, that all felt very familiar to me. And it was when I, when, okay. when I really started to identify with what I was building, when I could, uh, you know, the profiles that I drew into those wings are almost unchanged from, from now, from then until now, you know, maybe a little more, a little bit less, but it's really, there's, there's far more in common with a windsurfing sail with the wing than I would have thought in the beginning. Uh, so hmm. being able to relate those two and, and to be able to draw in some of that experience that I have and, and shaping windsurfing sails really helped a lot. Okay. Because in windsurfing sails, like you have so many, like you have all these different panels, you got different forces acting and now all of this stuff works together to distribute load and force and propulsion. Uh, same thing kind of in winging with, with the canopy and how it interacts with the leading edge and the center strut and all that kind of thing. It's it's so similar, you know. I mean, you can compare a okay. a mast to an to a leading edge. You know, you can you can affect the performance of the wing a lot by how much pressure you put in that leading edge, and you can affect the performance of a sail a lot by the stiffness stiffness of the mast you put in there, uh, and also the bend curve. And that's you know the LE has a bend curve as well as you as you control the diameters, you you change the flex. And, and then as it relates to the boom and that connection between the LE and the strut are like the boom on a windsurfing sail and you want a really solid connection there and, and you have to, you know, be careful of your boom length or your strut length. And same thing with a windsurfing sail. You're, it's, it's really just like a free handheld sail, which is kind of what a windsurfing sail is, except for the universal joint, obviously. Um, that's they, mm-hmm. they're they're very relatable. So you've accepted to me. it. I've accepted it as as being similar. <laughs> uh, accepted winging. No, as it's going to stick around for a while. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I you know I I have to say that it it was if I'm completely honest, it was work in the beginning. I had to I use a lot of self discipline and especially learning to fly that damn foil. Oh my gosh, you know. Kiters who are foilers, like to me, a kite with a foil is one of the coolest crafts on the ocean, you know, or on the water, I mean to say, because of the uplift, because of the angles, because you're up in that clean air. Um, so those, you know, watching oh, yeah. those guys made me interested in, and, you know, with the wing, it's a little bit different, but that learning process with the foil was just, it was horrifying. It was, I bled, my stuff's flipping over. I didn't know how to carry it. I didn't, like it's just so kooky you know you're just like this big cool toy cupcake of a wing flying around and then you've got this death machine like under your arm and you're trying to keep them away from each other oh yeah getting hit and all of that so i i had to you know i just said okay i'm gonna go 10 times for an hour each time i don't care how bad it goes i'm gonna just do this you know and luckily you know in the gorge here that's you can get conditions pretty consistently so getting over that hump you know learning how to jive was was like the first real milestone for me being comfortable on the gear because by the time you're learning to jive you've also learned how to fall you've kind of under understand when things start to come apart what might happen so it's a little less scary you've learned to not let go of your wing ever you've learned you know just just you just get more comfortable with it so jiving was 
was a big one. And, and that was all in the time of trying so many different wings too. And, you know, the jive okay. was, was this kind of this Holy grail of like, okay, if I could just do that. And that's the time I was using the, uh, the F1 wings, the strike and those, those oh, wings good to learn just on the best wing to learn on. Yeah. Oh my God. They're just, they're incredible. Those guys. Shout out, F1. out. <laughs> yeah. Shout out F1. You guys knocked it out of the park on that one. It was such a, it helped me, you know, like I'm trying to like, my feet feel like they're glued to the board and I'm trying to get around and the wing is just sitting there, you know, smiling at me, waiting for me. And you just grab it and away you go, you know, it was, it was yep. awesome to ride that. And so many of the others too were, cool. worked really well. So getting over that fear of the foil, getting comfortable with managing it, you know, how to pack it in your car, how to, how to transport it, all of these things. I'm, I'm finally over. I, and you know, and it's all, kind of leading to the to the essence of this which you know to me what's the, the coolest sport on the planet it's surfing <laughs> everything else is kind of like you're snowboarding and it's like you're surfing you know and you're skiing and it's like you're surfing and you're doing it's like you're surfing you're skateboarding it's like you're surfing but when you're on a foil in the river and you're riding knee-high swells and cutting back and and reconnecting and it is the most like surfing of almost anything I've done that wasn't actually surfing. So all of, you know, the wing, the paddle, all of this is just trying to capture that, that feeling of, of riding that swell energy. And for me, it's super fun. I'm having a blast with it. Oh yeah. And you're living in one of the best places in the world. Like at AWSI, I was out there testing. I think your gear and Muna White was not that far away. We're both riding these like shoulder high, whatever sets at event site. And it was yeah. first time me riding there in actual nice sizable stuff with a three meter, I think it was. And oh, like I don't, obviously the current helped because I had a lot more lift than normal, but it was such a beautiful place and just so many people around because I'm we're used to sailing so, my, where my brother and I go on Vancouver Island where sometimes we'll have four or five people other lakes yeah. you'll have a hundred some of them you're, you're nobody so it's so cool to see everybody there having fun and the setup here is it's insane it's fantastic for windsurfing it's okay for kiting i think you've got you know that sandbar got barfed into the river however many years ago eight nine years ago which created this like play park for kiting but it's access is tough for kiting you know getting in and out of the water but just the 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 openness of the playing field how portable a wing and foil is and how much swell energy is available on the river it's just it's phenomenal it's like it's like i'm seeing the gorge offering a, a more opportunity than i ever could have imagined at this point you know just seeing what how many people it can accommodate as well you know there's space for everybody i'm, mm -hmm. I'm not a grumbler i don't give a crap how many people are out if it's too crowded i'm not it's, to me it's yep. fun you know you find guys to ride with, you go up, you go down, you share, you share time and experience. And there's, there's so much space on this river and, you know, parking's getting a little tight around here, but you just got to get on it early. You know, you just gotta, you plan for it. You can't just show up on Saturday at 11 o'clock and think you're going to park somewhere. It just doesn't happen. So you just, yeah, you got to get ahead of it. And, and yeah, again, back to the, the gorge, it's just like, it's it's phenomenal, you know, for subfoiling for because the the wind and the current are generally opposing here. It just creates so many opportunities. 
Yeah. No, yeah. I was, I'm stoked to, to go back next year and spend a bit more time there. You go for a month or so and, and just hit some different locations. And now that now that Wingen's come along, at least you got two sports to pick from. So Heck yeah. But I want to circle back a little bit to your wings. How did yep. you decide how big to go on that leading edge? And how did you decide stiffness and all that kind of thing <laughs> that, for your V1 and even your V2? So I did my early kind of exploration into the design and learning how to wing myself here at the Gorge. And then jumped to Maui for my winter spring and connected with Casey Hauser, who's a, a good friend uh, of mine. And I've known him for many, many years. And he joined our team uh, uh, riding the sails. He's a windsurfer. He's a kiter. He's just a gnarly athlete too. And I really, you know, at, at some point after gathering knowledge for a period of time, which was months, a year or more, I, I, stopped listening to everything around me and focused in on what I wanted to do. And in Casey was my partner in that he was the guy I bounced ideas off of. He was the guy that I tested with. He's the guy who I would send wings to test with. And we, we went, we actually, (laughs) we didn't design a wing with the world in mind. We designed a wing with an idea in mind, which was, maximum power, super punchy, um, very stable and very, uh, controllable, easy to, easy to handle. And cause we're testing mostly off the North shore of Maui out of the spots there, out of Kuau, out of Kanaha, places like that, riding in waves where we wanted to get punched out of the water quickly and juiced up fast and have a lot of stability when overpowered. Cause on Maui you get overpowered a lot. And you've got westerly swells coming in and offshore winds and you get this big compression and things just start loading up. So that was sort of the design goal. And, you know, it's sort of the opposite of what I described with the F1 type wing, which is very, very approachable, very soft, very easy to handle. And we kind of went the other way. And that's what was working for us in those conditions. And Casey really pushed for having that handle connect all the way to the leading edge. Um, and we okay. did the first prototype and just as a, just to try it. And I never made another one different after that, you know, it looks funny cause it was super tight. It wrapped the front. People are like, oh, it rubs my knuckles. Oh, no. but the thing is, is when you're, when you're hanging on and you're loaded, that's the, the handle pulls away and you just have all of this range. And when you're starting, it's easy to get under and grab it to get the thing over your head and go. So having that accessibility to that front handle was really good, especially if you're in the surf, you're on a sinker board, you're just doing everything you can to just get the thing over your head and get going. So that was really a big part of uh, that handle configuration was just making it easy to get going and having a lot of adjustment and range. And also we liked how that narrow soft handle, you could hook your fingers and you just wouldn't get tired. You wouldn't get arm pump. You wouldn't get that sort of feeling. Yep. So, um, for that time and that wing, you know, that the soft handle is definitely not dead at this moment. We're only doing hard handles, but we're still, I still play around with soft handle ideas and probably will come with something like that again. So that was where that wing came from was really kind of learning what I did about the constructions and how they behaved and performed and, and, and getting this 
size range of wings and getting the diameters right through the whole size range and getting a similar feel through the size range. And, and then that was it. That was the version one wing right there. Okay. No, fair enough. And then how do you decide, let's say canopy material, like how many ripstop to go? Uh, there's a lot of new material coming out now. Is that something that you're thinking about incorporating? I tried oh, yeah. some of them ones at AWSI. It's hit and miss. Some are yep. non-stretch, they're going eco-friendly, but some of them I didn't find didn't perform as well. Yeah. Um, so I was just yep. curious on your thoughts, yeah. Well, everything, all ideas are on the table always for sure. I've got a lot of different sample materials and I've got uh, sample wings uh, and new ones coming as well with different LE, different canopy. And the thing with materials, it's like, there's no better or worse. They just do certain things. So it's a matter of getting the best okay. out of each part that you want, you know? So like our first wings had, uh, were just super simple, uh, single panel wings. They didn't have radials. They didn't have anything. It was just, uh, a very simple design, which was kind of where I was at in my design ability at that point, actually is making sure I could get a really clean shape, get the trailing edge tension that I wanted and nothing extra, just very simple. Keep it light and no windows as well. Um, we were just like, we're in the surf, just look if you need it, this and that I'll, I'll never make another wing without a window at this point. We need those for sure. Especially with the number of people that are out there. So, you know, ripstop is fantastic. It gives a breathability, a softness to the wing, um, combined just like I do in the windsurfing sails, you know, you can't build a sail completely out of hard materials. You lose that softness, that forgiveness, you lose that. You, sometimes you want a little bit of stretch. You don't want stretch that just continues. You want stretch that comes back. So that bit of Correct. stretch yeah. gives you that softer clutch feeling. It allows you to power and depower more easily. And, you know, just combining those different types of materials that have different stretch characteristics, um, in the right way is the puzzle. That's that's the puzzle of the design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, now with hard handles, how did you find that transition from from incorporating that a that they can't rip off, b you guys are using two bolts. I think some brands are using one, like all that kind of thing. How'd that yeah, kind of yeah. work in? So the hard handle we have is is not it currently is not uncommon on the market. It's an OEM hard handle that our factory was able to get a hold okay. of, which we like a lot, actually. It's super stiff and it's it's a little heavy. You know, it's four bolts uh, per handle, which is a little excessive, I think. We've got a new handle system that we're just finishing testing now that'll come in our next production that's a uh, single bolt, uh, right. more contoured, uh, just a nicer hand feel for sure. And for me, other than the... Uh, the little bit of arm pump that you can get from a hard handle, um, it's just so much better. Just to be able to pitch control your your wing and to be able to push it. You know, the soft handle has some comfortable characteristics, but for overall control of the wing, it's hard to beat a hard handle. It's just so direct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so how are you making sure that those puppies aren't flying off like the original... Like some of the first version wings, they would, because now you you could use a lot of different uh, sewing characteristics to keep the hard the soft handle on, but your hard handle seems to be more around a focal point, right? Yeah, I mean, there's 
our our soft handles were banded basically you'd run a band around and then attach to the yeah. band and it was really well supported in that regard but we haven't had a hard handle pull up yet it's you just add the layers that you okay, need distribute cool. the load it's fine it's not a it's not a big issue okay no fair enough so what's coming can you share a little bit about what's coming for 2024 i think i saw a kt it was a prototype, but I didn't get to ride it with uh, with Windows and stuff, AWSI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I missed so it on that one. we, mm. we can't... What's that? <laughs> I said I missed out on riding it. I oh, was like, yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come back. I've got one right here. Um, okay, all what, right. So, uh, so I don't want to give up. Okay, so if you think about the version one wing that we put out, then we did the hard handle version wing, which still maintained a lot of that power and actually had a bit better control. I, I can't imagine the wing getting more powerful. So where can we improve, okay. which would be to a little bit more usability, a little bit more of a soft clutch, um, maybe not such a complete uh, tractor pull feeling in that low end. You know, it's, it's trying to make the wing particularly in the in maneuvers like tax and things like that where you're trying to get the thing over your head and to go the version one wing would kind of hang back a little bit because it's you know the canopy was soft big leading edge tons of power it was it was harder to push that into the wind where i'm the newer wings have more of that natural flight they they're, they're more lift they, they kind of draw you through that maneuver as you're trying to tack and do upwind maneuvers and things like that uh, incorporating windows, uh, for, for safety more than anything, you know, just, there are so many people and I've been surprised as we all have been that, you know, we're silent out there and suddenly there's people right below you and you didn't even realize it, you know, cause of the angles that we take on these and foils like as well. Eyed. Yeah. 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 You know, I like, oh, to, yeah. my yeah, riding too? style is I love to go straight up wind and I like to go straight off the wind back and forth is like, yeah not my favorite you know it's i'll do it you know but to me the the joy is in that mobility and to cover great distances and to especially here in the gorge you know you sail you ride up wind for 30 minutes and then you're just downwind swell riding you know all the way home and you know that's for me that's like i'm a wind guy and i love that that mobility that the wing gives you and you know there's guys that are doing like shuttle runs and this and then that's all great and, you know the subfoil thing is quite interesting and the guys are killing it and it must be nice to ride mm -hmm. like that with no wing in your hand but i'm i'm i like to be self-sufficient you know i don't i'm not trying to connect with people every time i go to the water i want to i want to launch i want to ride up wind for an hour and then just play all the way down and work on my wing handling and work on managing that plus staying in the swell pocket. It's a, it's a very fun puzzle for me. I love, I love that independence that the wing gives you and that mobility. So with that mobility and all these crazy angles and there's other people riding in a similar style, we got to have windows. We got to be able to see <laughs> who's below us. Okay, so that's coming. one. That's one change then. And the other thing that I noticed that differs per brand is how much upwind can you point the wing without it backwinding or smacking you? Yeah. Like some brands I find you can't take them as much into that window. And then that's the first, one of the first things I test on a new wing when, when I'm taking them out is, is how, how much can I flirt with that upper line? And because obviously I'm looking to go upwind as much as I can. 
And if it's going to start smacking me or backwinding a little bit, then it's like, yeah, it's, it, it tells me a little bit about the design. Now, I don't know why it does. And maybe we could quickly talk about that because I don't know why it does that, but that's yeah. something I've noticed. For me, you know, in windsurfing, you have to work so hard to, to gain real estate, right? When you, when you launch on a windsurfer for, for me and any other, uh, you know, decent sailor, the first thing you're thinking is get up, win, get up, win, put some money in the bank, get up, win, get up, win, get up, win. You know, that's yep. part of the racing heritage. You got to learn how to go up, win. So I never really thought about, you know, as you say, you, you test wings and you check that, uh, that limitation on your upwind angles. For me, I go straight to it. When I launch, it's the first thing I do is I hook in and I, and I jam it up with. And if I start getting pressure on my front hand or something like that, I change the wing. I change the, the profile. I change. It could be something with the trailing edge is, is not as too tight or not tight enough or just the general tension of the canopy. Um, I, I don't think I can answer your question about what what contributes to that or what creates that upwind ability. It's a combination of things for sure. And there's no real perfect solution. It's just working with the materials you've chosen and the profiles that you've got. And then you just kind of work on making it fit into those angles, you know? So generally wings, a wing that'll go upwind well will generally be a flat wing because there's less drag but you have to be careful that the draft is forward as well because um, that will also draw you upwind, but you will suffer across and downwind uh, if you go too far in that direction because going downwind, you need a bubble. Upwind, you need a knife, you know? So it's finding the blend between those two things. Hey, thanks for sharing all of this with us and kind of helping us get to know you a little bit more. I didn't get much oh, of yeah. a chance to talk to you in Hood, but pretty cool. Uh, how did you like AWSI overall? Was it pretty successful for your team? It was, it was fantastic actually. And I, you know, trade shows for me, it's like, I sort of dread them, you know, when the, when the, when the, when the calendar starts getting closer and you know, our team's organizing and it's like AWSI time. It's like, oh, really? Cause you've got set up it's a lot. It's, it's like a lot of work. And it is, a you know, the, the, what the, the event site here in hood river, which I've done a fair number of trade shows over the years for windsurfing. It's like the worst place to ever do a windsurf demo. I can't think of a worse place on this planet to do a windsurf demo than the event site, because you've got that sandbar sticking out. There's a big pressure bubble right there. The wind sucks. It's like, if you don't know that spot, if you don't know that the first thing you do when you hit the water is get your butt up wind, if you don't know that, you're just going to have a terrible time because you're just stuck out in front. There's not enough wind. The water's getting shallow. Next thing you know, you're up on the sandbar, dragging your stuff back. And it's like, yeah, how was your demo? Well, it sucked. You know, so it's like with the evolution of the AWSI, initially, our first AWSI was pre COVID. It was a big, it was kind of a windsurf event and there was some SUP and, and it was just like, oh gosh, you know, it's, I was grateful to exhibit and I was grateful to connect with people in the industry and riders and things like that. It's a, it, we are a pretty small community, you know, and it, and it is, it is mm -hmm. nice to, Tiny. to 
to all get in one place. We are competitors, but we are part of a, a singular organism in a way, you know? So it's nice to touch base with old colleagues and friends and, and look at uh, ideas and see who's sharing what. And it's, it's very motivating too. Um, but because of foil and wing in particular, a- AWSI just had this new energy and last year you could feel it. And then this year it was like, it was so cool. Um, there was so much new gear, so much enthusiasm. We had killer conditions. I mean, it couldn't have been better. And it went from windy to lighter, to lighter, to lighter, which is perfect. Cause then you can exhibit your full range of gear and what's working. And we had, uh, we had like seven we had six guys six of our team members came from maui and so we were we were well represented and um we had a lot of cool stuff to show and in the the it was great it was a great event for sure oh awesome yeah glad it worked out well um is there anything else that a you'd like to cover and b you would like people who are brand new to kt to learn a little bit about more about you guys and why they should consider riding some gear that's designed and Built in Maui, I or I would say, built there, but. <laughs> um, you know what else could I share? I don't know. We could we could probably talk for hours. I love talking about this sort of thing. <laughs> probably, <laughs> uh, you pick a topic and I'll run on it. But um, as far as the brand goes, what what I really appreciate about working with this team is the accessibility that we have like if you come to maui come to our shop you can you can demo anything we produce anything we have in production even a bunch of custom stuff free of charge where we we want to we want to service our riders we want to we want to work with people to make sure that they have a good experience and if they don't we want to work with them and, and hopefully create it these are these are you know these these Sports are not for everyone. You've got to be an enthusiast a little bit. You got to be a little tough to be a windsurfer. You got to you got to take a lot of crap, you know. And you got to be done. Persist. You got to be persistent to figure out how your what foil parts you need, how they go together, where it goes on the board, and oh, hang on. They're very service intensive products. And that's what we what we love to do, and um, you know we're 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 developing. So we work with Big Winds here in Hood River. We've got a great crew down there. That if they don't have the answers, uh, they'll reach out to me or one of our team members. And we want to just have a very human connection with the people and the riders that are on the gear, and uh, we want them to feel part of this and also supported because. It, you know, that's, that's what we do this for. This is what enables us to, to live this life is to create gear that we all enjoy riding. So, um, yeah, I, I would recommend if you have a chance, go to Maui, come to the shop, see what's going on. It's crazy. Keith's doing, oh gosh, he's probably doing 300 boards a year or something like that between all the, the production stuff, all the, I mean, Kai is probably on, Kai Lenny's probably getting 50 boards a year at this point between SUP and surf and windsurf and foil boards and you know it's just non-stop and then all the other riders and it's just we uh the boys have added have expanded the factory added machinery it's just it's growing in this this 
center of of development is just it's just hot right now so um it'd be fun if anybody wanted to come and the doors are always open nine to two five days a week up in haiku actually i think <laughs> we're open saturday too um and then hey, big wins nice. here and we're developing our u.s distribution right now as well uh we've got some oh, warehousing over yeah we've got a warehousing over in bingen and we're organically growing and francisco got a big project going in bingen with potential warehouse for that but it might evolve i don't know but we're 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 putting the pieces into place we we fully expect to be here in 10 years from now and uh, doing what we're doing now so we're going to we're going to try our best to to put the pieces in place to make that happen oh beautiful man i'm happy to hear that um how do you find working with some of the, your how do you find working with kai and, and some other of your of the riders that are on the team how how's that oh, feel fantastic. like and, yeah yeah you know yeah. every rider brings their strength and their communication style and what they what you know i i'm so fortunate to work with this group and you know kai we've been really down a wormhole on a new concept wave sale for him and we spent a lot of time testing together last winter and um i've got i'm about ready to go to production on what we've come up with together and his needs are so specific his vision is so specific and it's it's fun to ride with a guy like him because he's approaching it in such a different way. When we trade gear at Hokipa on a wave day, his stuff feels like it came from another planet because he's riding like these huh. super wide stances. His fins are like canted out like this. The board feels like it's almost underwater as it's rolling, but it's so fast and it's so stable. And he's trying to do these certain type of hook turns. He wants to have a sail that's neutral and powerful at the same time because he's trying to ride in the pocket, hit lips, fly. He wants to jump, all of these things. And so, you know, how many, I don't know how many prototypes we are in on this. Many, many. Um, it's been a lot of fun working with him. He's been riding on the uh, sales for a while now, but I'd say in the last year, we've really started to, it takes time to get to know. You know, I knew Kai from when he was a little kid, but we knew. We're, you can be together on the island and be in different worlds at the same time. You know, he was on his path. I was doing my thing. This is the first time we've really worked together. And it takes time to build that relationship, to, to understand what the other person's looking for, what you can expect from the other person, um, and, and just what, how much time it takes to get to certain goals. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked with what we've done. And also working with Marcelio Brown, who's our current World Wave champion in windsurfing. Yes, sir. He's in silt. They might what be competing right now. Yeah, yeah. Working with him is just—he's just the most humble, sweet, gnarly windsurfer. Like he's just the best to work with. And we've done so many protos over the years together, and it's just a joy working with him. Guys like Levi, working a little bit. Yep. Uh, Kai's brother Ridge as well, working with Otis Buckingham who's like he was just here for awsi and he was going off you know he's doing full rotations and everything on the wing and but he's 16 you know and it's like you know yeah. hey otis how's the wing he's like oh it's good you know it's like all right cool let's <laughs> you know developing those skills of how to to uh present feedback and how to better help me with what he's looking for now, so it's, I've got a great range of riders and athletes that I get to work with. I'm, I'm super stoked. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, man, that must be such a joy and a range of dedications and skills and and life experience and even testing. Like that must take as a rider must take a while to be able to differentiate between all those aspects as well to bring you good valuable advice, right? Like that must take a little bit of time too cuz not everybody's a good tester. Not everyone gets there either. They they some guys like Marsilio are are you know, he doesn't tell me what to do on the sales. He tells me what he's looking for and feeling. So I have to interpret that. Other riders will come in and say, put this here. And if I agree, or if I'm willing to try, I'll just put it there. Other riders are just more like in the clouds and they, they love it or they don't, you know, or, or they love everything. I've had riders that love everything. Everything I put in their hands, they're like, oh, this is amazing. I'm like, really? I kind of hated that sale actually, you know, but they just... It's just more about their personality, you know. It's just they're they're just happy and stoked, and they don't they're not going to become critical. It's just not in their personality profile, and that's fine too, because uh, the proof okay. is in the pudding. I've got riders that are like that, and I can see. I watch. I've been watching these guys my whole life, and I can see when they're when they're relaxed, when they're engaged, and when they're having fun. I can see it within seconds of watching them on the water. It's, it's quite apparent. Okay. So then you can take that back as well. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If, if the rider is ripping on the thing that I think I like, then it's all good. But I, if I see them struggling a little, I'll go back and retest. And for me, sails, wings, masts, anything like that, I test it first. I've got 20 sails being delivered today, full set for Kai, full set for Marsilio, set for Levi. I will, I will at least rig all of those sales, if not try to get on them the key sizes before I send them to Maui within the next couple of days. These are sales for the upcoming contest, the Aloha Classic. Um, and they, okay. you know, any new design I test myself and that's going back to the roots of my process of learning, which was building a sale every day, testing at two o'clock. I can, I can step on a sale and in 15 seconds tell you, if it's doing what I want it to or not. And it's, it's, it's really important for me it, the the feedback from the team either, either validates what I'm feeling or will raise questions that make me retest again and make sure I get it the way I want it. So that when they're testing, I know exactly what they're talking about. I have to ride this stuff before the team does, because then we can speak the same language when we're, when we're sharing feedback. Okay, so thank you to your mentors and to your shot with Ezzy and building all that time yep. and dedication in, right? And definitely and then it you to today. So that that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing but grateful for all of that experience. There were hard times, but here we are. You know, still in the water, still doing it. <laughs> and I love, I love the essence of what that KT brand stands for. Because the first time I went to Hawaii, like. Um, life stuff happened. I got into a serious near-death motorcycle accident, took 10 years to rehab. And then when I went, I met Sam Bittner at an event uh, in Plattsburgh and she says, hey, do you, do you want to come help film PWA? And I said, sure, like whatever, I can come. I just started windsurfing, so stoked. But when I walked into there, everybody just embraced me. It was crazy. You walk in, they say, hey, how's it going? Here, come check this out. Come meet this person. Come do this. And here's a board yeah. bag and here's all the things. You're bringing this old gear back to Canada. And that's what sunk in for me. And that's why I started riding. I still have like power wave sales from a while back. And 
that's what made that connection with me. And that's what a lot of people are looking for. Um, because it's like, why am I writing when I'm writing? I got so many options. So th that's why we kind of, it's awesome to be able to chat and get to know you guys more and, and get to see that whole lifetime of dedication that you've put towards something. Because yeah. us who have like four or five hours or whatever, you have a weekend and you're like, it, it makes your experience more full, if you know what I mean. It, it's not like you're just driving an empty car. You get to drive something and you get to have that whole heritage with you. So that's pretty cool. You're, you're part of the story is what it boils down to because that's yeah. why the that's why the doors are open for the shop. I'm glad you were well received. Sometimes things are hectic in there and, and people kind of get it ignored it was fine but please don't <laughs> anybody who goes and you and you get sort of ignored just hang in there you know there might be a hot moment going on you're not quite sure but i said but a high that's, bar <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's why the door is open is for this opportunity to connect and interact with people because we are all of us myself lalo francisco keith we we really connect we 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 relish these interactions because it's what feeds this story for us it's what it's what guides us and drives us forward for sure well nice jason well hey thanks for taking time out of your i know busy day to to chat with me today and i'm stoked to see you for the next time and and try out some of the new gear that you come out with yeah thank you for the opportunity to chat this has been a blast and yeah we got a little wind today so might might have to get get out on the water <laughs> Nice. All right, cool. Hey, enjoy the gorge and uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. All right, Luke. Take care. Thanks everybody for joining us today.